Hi, everybody. Uh, welcome to the Gary Wilkerson podcast. We're so uh, glad you're with us today, and we're glad to have Chris Palmer with us again. Chris was with us uh, a couple of times as we discussed the Trinity in some of his writings and his teaching at uh, Moody Bible Institute and at, at his church, his pastor of Light of the World Church, and a uh, great Bible teacher, a uh, great young man of God, and uh, a great amount of long hair, which I, I kind of like that uh, about him as well. And so that's a, you can always tell there's a bit of a Samson strength in a man when his, when his, when he's allowing his hair to grow long, but not, not the, not the bad stuff we attribute to Samson, but just the good stuff. <laughs> so Chris, welcome. Thanks for, uh, thanks for coming on again today. We, I've been looking forward to talking with you once again. It's been, it's, it's, it's talking with you is, I think is really intriguing and uh, I'm grateful. Oh, I appreciate it, Gary. And I had so much fun the last time we talked and uh, was so refreshed by our conversation. Um, really admire you and your ministry and, and really enjoy this podcast and even listening to uh, to it and going through some of them. I'm just, just so blessed to be a, be a guest once again. So it's an honor, my honor. Excellent. I think you're probably like the coolest guy I know that knows Greek. I know several <laughs> cool guys like you, but most of them don't know Greek. And the ones I do know that know Greek are, are usually sort of like and ties from uh, you know kind of I don't, I don't know from a different age or something so yeah it's like you're you're yeah. you're, you're, you're giving a good rep to greek scholars uh, around the world oh, i'm glad you say that i'm trying to uh, re refurbish this whole area of study <laughs> I, I there was a, a a fisherman that was a bass fisherman back in the day and uh, he was trying to refurbish how bass fishing was and bring it make it cool again for for people to be cool so maybe i'm doing that for greek i don't know <laughs> <laughs> did you say bass fishing yeah yeah he was a ba he was a bass fisherman he's really like hip and cool and it, it just was an anomaly so i think i think i'm gonna is it kind of recently he's done, he's done like some videos yeah he's like a cool bass fisherman you know and he's he's, uh, he's making it cool yeah he's trying i'm not sure <laughs> if you're doing better at making greek cool than he's doing make <laughs> i'll take that as a, i'll take that i'll take that Cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to, there's this comedian named Stephen Wright years ago. He said, there's a fine line between a man standing beside a, a lake uh, fishing and a man just standing beside a lake. You know, <laughs> kind of the same, not a whole lot. I think I'm the, I think I'm the latter. I'm the one that stands by the lake and just looks yeah. into the wind. <laughs> yeah, me, me too. Well, Chris, just uh, some of our people have already been introduced to you, but uh, you're teaching at uh, Moody. Uh, what, what, what subject are you teaching there? Uh, you know what? So uh, this semester I have Greek uh, syntax and exegetical method, which is w w for short, we say Greek three, which is sort of a capstone class that uh, oh. brings Greek one and Greek two into it, which a lot of students don't get the chance to do because they, they matriculate and they just have to do Greek one, and Greek two. Um, so Greek three gives them the chance to really find out why they did Greek one and Greek two. I've done um, Gospels and Acts, uh, which we did a narrative uh, analysis of Gospel and Acts, um, introduction to intercultural studies. Uh, New Testament history and literature. My, my concentration is New Testament, so I usually catch those classes as they as they come by. So, but this semester I'll be doing Greek three. Okay, and and pastoring your church as well. How how old is your church? How long has it been in existence? Uh, it, we've been actually in existence about five and a half years here in in the Novi area. You know, we're doing well. Um, obviously, with COVID, we had you know some challenges and things, but uh, we're meeting again. We're we're back at it. Um, and then I also teach um, at Theos University, which is in. Um, they're based in Palm Springs at the moment. It's more of an online school uh, that is distilling theology for people who aren't really, you know, interested in going the traditional Bible school route. They, they make it available for people that don't want something so exhausting or, okay. in, 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 in that sense. So, 
Good job, man. Well, that, I know that keeps you busy. That's, that's, that's no small task that you got undertaken. Pastoring alone is a, a full-time job. I was pastoring a church uh, here in Colorado Springs for a number of years while I was still president of World Challenge, and I found it I found it difficult to do to do both. I'm in, I'm really a little bit more uh, freed up and relaxed now that I'm not pastoring. That's a yeah, yeah. It's a, that's a tough job. Out of the two, do you think one's more difficult than the other? Um, I definitely think that pastoring has got that added element of of spontaneity as well as you know responsibility with it. And not to say that it diminishes what a professor does, but as a pastor, you know, you're really responsible for people's souls and, and for giving them the word of God and for being there. I mean, you don't, as a pastor, I don't want to be a negligent pastor who's not there for the people. So I, I, I give more of myself to pastor, I think, than, um, yeah. than really to, to be a professor. I at least feel I should, you know, in some regard. Good for you, Chris. I think that's wise. Yeah. Well, today we're going to talk about Greek. You uh, written a book I have in front of me here, uh, Greek word study, really amazing book. It's, it's, uh, it's 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 kind of like a, it's fun to read, uh, but it's inspirational and encouraging, and uplifting and challenging. So, I definitely would highly re- recommend this book. Um, <clears throat> would you would you mind just starting off walking us through uh, one of these words? I don't know if you <clears throat> sometimes I've, I've written a few books, and sometimes people ask me like, uh, you know, in chapter four you wrote about, and I'm like, I don't remember writing that, uh, so I don't want to put you on the spot here. But <laughs> uh, do you mind just picking a word and walking us through? sort of yeah. what you did with it in the book, how you, yeah. you know, uh, just how, how you came to uh, that. Do you, do you have a word that maybe pops into your mind? To, yeah. One of the, one of the real fun words I've, I've talked about uh, in, in, in a sense that I find people really interesting is, is the word Theophilus, which is who is the recipient of Luke's writings in both Luke and Acts. So um, we tend to look at names and say, well, maybe this name doesn't really you know, mean much or, um, there's an idea that maybe this wasn't his actual name, uh, but it was a name that a pseudo name that he was given him. I don't think that changes anything for us in terms of inspiration. If he was using a pseudo name, um, that was sort of common in the day to do that, to, to sort of mask their identity. We do that in our own writing today, actually. Um, I've never used a person's real name in a book because um, it's just maybe a courtesy to them not to use a real name. But anyway, he writes to this, this guy named Theophilus. Um, and you see in both Luke chapter one to uh, Luke chapter one verse two and three, uh, one two and three, and then Acts chapter one verse one that you you can gather enough from those several verses to see that you know Theophilus has some challenges in his faith. Um, you know he's sort of challenged and he's having his doubts. Um, and I think that immediately when we realize he's having his doubts, that that really draws us in as readers because we all have had our doubts at times. I've noted in that book that in um, Barner Research, they found uh, as recently, I think it was back to 2016, a study or a little bit more recently than that, that 65% of people who are lifting their hands in church um, have dealt with doubts. Uh, and only 20% of those people have actually reconciled all of those doubts, which tells us that there is a persistency or a good percentage of people that have doubts that we as pastors and, and ministers don't want to just over overlook and say, well, you know, these are you know, how could you possibly doubt? We have it all figured out because none of us really do. And, and in times of, you know, pandemic and, and social uprising and civil distress, um, and even personal situations where, you know, a loved one gets sick, and we pray for healing and we believe in healing. We believe in the power of the spirit and we we're bold about preaching it and, and that somebody dies or, um, you know, we wrestle with these doubts and we never really resolve these. Most, many of us never really resolve these until we, in, in this life. Um, and so we're introduced at Theophilus. He's, he's this guy and his name is interesting because if you've been in Greek at any amount of time, 
maybe in year one or year two, you, sh you should pick up that this is a compound word. His name is made up of, of two significant um, nouns, one being theos, which is God, okay? And then philos, which means love or to mean, uh, and it's not really like love in the sense of an eros love or a, um, a romantic type love that husband have towards his wife. It'd be more like how, you know, I love winding down and watching Netflix at the end of the day or, you know, a real bass fishing, right? I real, how I love Greek. I'm, I'm drawn to something that I like, you know? So yeah. this is that. And, and so the word can go either one of two ways. It could mean A, um, one who loves God or one who's beloved by God. So it depends on how you flip it around here. Um, mm -hmm. But I think it maybe the, ambigu the ambiguity of it is interesting because here's a guy who loves God, um, but he has his doubts. So it tells us that you can love God and your doubts don't disqualify you from your love for God. In our pastoral ministry, um, you know, you see that there's people that, that doubt significantly, right? And, um, you know, they love God. They genuinely love God. And they, they're concerned because they're like, well, does this disqualify me from actually being somebody that, um, that can serve God? And, and that it, it's saying that it doesn't. Actually, the office isn't disqualified from his love for God. And right. his service towards God because he's um, a doubter. But at the same token, it's someone who's beloved by God. And so that tells us that he is um, loved by God. And that speaks to us that even in our doubts, God loves us and God cares about us. And so the beauty part about this is that there's a response and Luke is writing the book of Acts and his gospel to Theophilus to help aid him and come alongside of him and explain to who Christ is, to him who Christ is at that time. So that it can help them in those doubts and help them to work through those doubts. So you start to see that um, that this is being written to somebody who's a lot like us and that God has us in mind. God cares about us and God wants to give us answers and he directs those answers towards Christ and who his son is. So really the beginning of our doubts where we can start answering those doubts is by understanding who Christ is, who we are in Christ and, and the role that he has in our faith. And so that's where he directs them. And I think that's a good place for us to really begin when we have our doubts is to come to understand who it was that walked amongst us and now loves us. Man, that's, that's profound. I love that, that just in his name, uh, taking the compound two words in the Greek there, you're adding a whole other element to the, to the teaching, because if you didn't have that, I don't think we'd, we'd be, from what I hear you saying, we wouldn't be understanding. We might understand he was somebody he's writing that he's doubting or has been through hard times, but we may not understand, uh, you know, Luke, Luke saw him or God saw him as one who's loved. So, Kind of, so you, you're really adding a lot to um, our understanding, our comprehension of Scripture when, when we take some time to, uh, you know, to, to, to settle in on the Word a bit and to, to, to not, you know, do cursory reading and just try to finish, you know, three chapters a day, but, but maybe pause and, and look at some languages and look at some meanings and look at some commentaries and uh, do a little bit of work. And that's, I think that's where your book really aids us. We can... I hope you write about 50 of these and, and keep yeah. them on the library shelf and you know, just pull them down and look at, look at different words. Um, the, um, uh, would you say uh, true or false? And, and then why you would answer true or false on that? Yes or no. Um, Greek really should be left to scholars, seminary professors, and maybe past intellectual teaching pastors. But, you know, those of us who just read the Bible for to get to know Jesus and we want to just love him we don't really need to deal with the Greek that much, do we? Would I say would say, 
I would say false with the asterisk uh, on, on the side of it. A false with the asterisk, if I can take that option. You know, sure. um, false. So false in the sense it shouldn't be left to to just seminary professors and pastors that want to teach. Um, but the asterisk being that you don't need Greek to understand the Bible um, mm. because the Bible is, you know, I believe in the uh, perspicuity of Scripture. Meaning, Wayne Grudem teaches a lot on this. Meaning that Scripture is understandable. I mean. Uh, uh, homeless man by the uh by the trash can if he finds a bible in, in the dumpster and he could read it and he could discover god's plan of salvation i really believe that every page of the bible at some point every verse is somehow pointing us to christ um so we can understand god's gospel plan now back to the false part about it if you'd like the bible in hd and you really want to go and understand the nuances of it and to if you love the text, you love scripture, I think at some point your next step is going to be learning the biblical languages. Um, and part of writing Greek word study was hopefully I could inspire enough um, interest in, in Greek language to, to make people say, hey, you know what, I, I, need to, I need to try to discover this for myself and, and take up Greek uh, study. And you know, it's interesting because people do inbox me in my social media asking about Greek resources. Uh, that book is a devotional, so I'm not really explaining how to do Greek, but it, it, I, I use it in my, in my classroom um, to show students what you can do with Greek and how you can speak it to every, my whole purpose in writing that was to be extremely simple, um, you know, because you can take something that is a complex idea and put it into something that's so simple, but you can't get the riches of the ideas behind it unless you mine it yourself in the Greek and then, you know, bring it through that process of being simple for somebody to understand. So, um, for people that are out there that are listening to this podcast and they really want to see it in HD, you do have to learn the language um, because it's not just the words, even though I make use of the words in that book, it's more the syntax as well um, and seeing how things are laid out. I mean, I just, I was at dinner last night with a friend and I was telling them, um, if you laid the Greek out and you saw how the book of Revelation was written um, or John's writings were written, even Mark's writings, I mean, it would just, you would know right off the bat that this would, this is really interesting how the syntax is it's pretty neat um for instance um one one of the things i love to show my students who are just learning greek is we i turn them to mark's gospel um and i say hey look at look at the gospel don't look at each verse just look at it and tell me if you notice anything and they really don't catch on to much you know they're mm, i don't really see anything i don't see anything so i say open up you know your greek text and tell me if you notice anything at the beginning of each verse and they look at it and then it hits them that Almost every single verse, well, 60, I think 63% of the verses in the book of Mark begin with the conjunction kai, K-A-I, which means and or even. And it's so easily recognizable. It stands out to you in the Greek. And then when you look at your English Bible, you realize, oh my gosh, every verse almost begins with an and right there. And so it's and this, and that, and this, and that. That's a, a writing tool that Mark was using called parataxis. Uh, not a pair of taxes, but pair of taxes, which right, <laughs> which is a way of moving the story the story ahead really quickly. Um, and there's reasons why he wanted the story to be real quick, and then he slows it down. It has a lot to do with plot and narrative reading of it, but uh, but he moves it along pretty quick. And and you 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 feel that when you read Mark that he's I call Mark the uh, ESPN highlight reel of Jesus' ministry. Okay, because you know it's like maybe Matthew and Luke is a little bit longer watching the whole game unfold. But if you just want what happened in the first, second, third, and fourth quarter, you look at Mark, it's, it's quicker. It moves forward a little bit less dialogue. It gets right to the point of short ending, abrupt, things are abrupt, and boom, it's over. 
And that's his writing style. And you see it right off the bat in Greek. So it's cool. And I think those are the types of things that you really want to pay attention to. Um, any pastor that is into New Testament studies and wants to really enhance their ministry or any person that just loves God's word and, and maybe a retiree or someone has some time on their hands. I think studying biblical Greek is as good as picking up, uh, trying to knock a few strokes off your golf game. <laughs> that's, uh, that's awesome. Um, so to, let's talk about the way ahead then. Um, I'm going to throw out a couple different kind of people. Um, somebody that's looking maybe to go into the ministry. Um, so I'm sure you think the track there is, you know, Bible college, seminary, uh, yeah. really dig, digging deep into the Greek, putting that aside, um, pastors who don't know Greek. Um, yeah. Let's add on top of that, uh, really hungry Christians who don't know Greek. And then maybe uh, new Christians. What what trajectory would you recommend each of these different uh, people yeah. or understanding group? You, you, some do you say just go with a light touch, just get a, get a, a good you know Greeks help book, or do you kind of push people not push but uh, encourage people to actually learn the Greek language? Yeah, I think so. Um, I would say for pastors, really, and I know that pastors are extremely difficult and they have a lot of demands that are on them, but I would say it, uh, you can make this a priority, prioritize Greek, especially most pastors that I know love the New Testament, love preaching on the New Testament. So I'd say maybe matriculate, get into a course somewhere. There's online courses that provide this for you. Get into a course where you could have directed study. That should be something that if they're not in ministry yet, or if they're, they're preparing for ministry, uh, put that as a priority because it's going to yield fruit. So I would say get in something that's directed e either mm -hmm. online can I stop you there? Sorry, yeah. I'm so sorry to interrupt. I want to go on to the other people as well, but just I want to stop with Pastor for a second. Um, so, so okay, so you got my interest. All right, I, I don't know Greek, but I want to learn it. I'm a pastor. I'd love to be able to integrate that. It's my teaching uh, and see the scriptures through that HD, ESPN HD. Uh, I like all those letters, ASAP. Uh, <laughs> and uh, so, so I want to learn it. Um, you said online. Um, yeah. Two questions. One, what what would you recommend online? Uh, number yeah. two is are your are your courses and classes online? Yeah, yeah actually, I do teach Greek one and two, um, and I teach a, a course called Fun with Greek, and that's all available at Theos University. So if you go to theosu.ca, um, they have they're putting those up in their seminary, um, so they could they could you can take it with me. Uh, Glenn Plummer does a really good program. Um, he has something called the Daily Dose of Greek. You could go look at Glenn Plummer. He's down at South uh, was it South Eastern Baptist Seminary. He's down in Kentucky. Uh, he does some really good stuff. Uh, so there's some textbooks. So uh, his name is, yeah, so let me get his book. I'll show okay. it to you. It's, um, so it's, uh, excuse me, I said Robert Plummer, his book, Beginning Greek. He has this whole course online as well. So that's helpful. Um, or you can take it at Theosu. Uh, I give an unashamed plug for, for us, what we're doing at Theosu. Um, but but, but any, anything that, you know, you, you, you can look online and find there's people teaching it. Uh, I think that would be helpful. Or you could get into a, a seminary in the sense of if you have one down the street that's teaching it, or um, it's just, it's probably a lot more available than you realize in, until you start looking for it, you know, that it's, it's available. Yeah. Um, and then, then for the, uh, would you go the same uh, path if you're not in full-time ministry? Uh, if you're not in full-time ministry and you just want to learn it, um, I think you have to be, you, you can be a little bit less intense about it. Um, I would say that, Maybe I, I throw this back to pastors and tell pastors to put an emphasis on this in their, in their churches and say, maybe you can have someone teach Greek. In my church, I've taught biblical Greek in my church. I've done classes where we, we go through it. And, uh, you know, it's obviously not as 
attended as maybe uh, if you're doing a conference where you're going to be praying for the sick or something, but uh, maybe pastors, if you know Greek, to put this on for your people, or I'd encourage pastors, if you know a Greek guru, a guy who's in seminary, who wants to reinforce his teaching, if you're having a conference, um, I suppose when things are opening back up, um, don't just invite the evangelist uh, and, you know, your, your three favorite speakers, invite the Greek guy and say, hey, you know, what we're going to do, we're going to have, I, I did a course for a church called one time called Greek in a week. And I did a, a course where I said, I'm going to take you through biblical Greek in one week. And we're going to go through it. We're going to, we're going to hit the basics of it enough to really get your gears grinding. And then after that, I showed them where they could learn it in depth. So just exposure people to it. Wow. Just out of curiosity, how many hours a day was that week? Uh, it was about two or three. So it wasn't that long. Okay. Yeah. Like, not, 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 you don't, you, you don't hit the entirety of all sure. Greek. I mean, you don't get into everything, but you get enough where you're like, what I did in that class was, is I would, we learned the alphabet. We started reading, we started reading passages. We started making observations and it got them seeing why Greek is useful so that they could go into Greek and have to deal because in seminary today, a lot of the ways Greek is taught is you don't, you go through all the hard paradigms of memorizing things and the frustration lies and students don't really realize why I'm doing this. There's no reward in it right up front. So they get weary from it and they just want to pass the test. What I, the way my methodology for teaching Greek has been show them all the rewards right away. And they can, I do believe you can start seeing those the minute you learn the alphabet and you can put your eyes onto the text because a lot of them are, are an aesthetic in nature where you see it right there. And then when they started seeing those rewards, they started realizing what they don't have because they can't read Greek. And then you can place them in a Greek program somewhere else or start that Greek program in your church. And so we did Greek in a week. And actually, by the end of that week, they were making observations and they were doing Greek. It was cool. That is cool. Uh, you brought up a point that I think is interesting is uh, if you don't if you don't take that, uh, ta- if you don't go that direction of, of at least comprehending some Greek, uh, what are you going to be missing Uh do, do you feel like, and, and if you do, if you get a little bit of language behind you, what, what comes out a little bit more for you? So one of the things that when you're reading scripture, you start to realize that one of the ways that we, the, the, the basic Bible school way of, you're gonna, when you go to Bible school, the basic way of approaching scripture is what we call historical grammatical, okay, where you get behind the text. So we have the finished form of the text, which is the Bible, the way that it's been received. Okay. We we're dealing with that. We say, okay, we want to find out what, let's say this passage in Colossians might mean. So we're going to go back to first century. We're going to study the historical and cultural aspects of it. We're going to find out what was going on in Colossus. Okay. Who they were under governmentally. What were some of the customs when Paul mentions these things about them worshiping angels, what heresy was that? And you get this idea, you form it outside of the text in history, what's going on. And then you start doing maybe some grammatical word studies and what this means. And, and you have a meaning. Okay, that's good. But there's another thing called narrative, which is looking at the finished form of the text um, and, and trying to recognize patterns and structural um, anomalies in there, okay, in the Greek. And you really, in those, which we call chiastic structures, I'll explain that in a second, inclusios, you see those and you're like, oh my gosh. The, the, the text itself is arranged in such a way in the Greek that it's giving you examples. I'll give you an example of what I mentioned in Inclusi, okay? Mm-hmm. When you look at Matthew's gospel and you look at it uh, in the Greek, 
or you can actually see this in the English if you want. You could see this in the English as well, but it, it sticks out more in the Greek. In Matthew, the very first way that Jesus is introduced is Emmanuel, God with us, right? He'll be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. And we lose track of that sometimes when we start reading verse by verse. You know, we're, we're studying verse, the next verse, the next verse, the next verse. Well, by the time you get to Matthew 28, you've studied so much stuff that you forgot about what was said in verse number one, in chapter one, that he's Emmanuel, God with us. Most people would actually, I would think some, for the most part. But then you get to the last verse of Matthew and Jesus in the last verse, Matthew 28 says, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the earth. So the very, one of the first place you see Jesus mentioned is he's God with us. The last verse of the whole thing, he says, I'm with you. Wow. And that's an inclusio. And so it has, it has been a bookmark or it frames the whole entire book. And so in that inclusio, that's Matthew's way of saying, what's the whole book about? The whole book about is the ongoing presence of Jesus Christ in our lives. He's with us. And the whole reason, despite the disciples' failures, that they, the mission was never compromised. The whole reason that they never failed is because his presence remained with them. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and they could have confidence going forward into the book of Acts and into their mission because he's still with them. They're not going to fail. Wow. Right. So that's an inclusio. And in the Greek, it's just looking at you. It's staring at you, begging uh-huh. for you to use this, you know. That's so, so cool. Whoa. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's like you said, H, that's kind of HD stuff. That, that kind of comes yeah. a lot. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the funny thing, too, with just using HD as an illustration you know, when, when we were watching TV before it was an HD, it seemed perfectly clear to me. Uh, and then once I got spoiled by HD, now I go back to the, to the non HD, what I don't even know what it's called, uh, but it's, it, it, it's like, it's fuzzy. It's, it, it just doesn't have the same. So you can kind of get, I suppose you could get spoiled by the, the languages uh, as well, which, yeah. which is another enticement to get, uh, get into it and get to, get to, get to know it. Um, yeah. How, if you don't know Greek, how helpful are, some of the tools that are out there, uh, Strong's, uh, and that's pretty simple, uh, yeah. at least a starting place. Um, are, there, um, are those pretty helpful? Or can they just maybe make us more confused? Um, I think it's the way that users, I, with Strong's or W Vines, you know, those are, those are good resources. I mean, I'm, I don't ever discourage the use of those resources. Uh, they're good. They're good. If you don't know Greek and you're using those, that's good. Logos Bible software is really a, a phenomenal investment. I, I really think every pastor, if they have a, a church budget that supplies them for study, I think every church, if they can afford it, should give their, their pastors um, some allocation for study materials because mm-hmm. pastors, that's, that's their big job is to, to bone up and to know they're, they're, what they're dealing with. Um, and they should use that towards Logos Bible software and build an online library. I mean, on my, on my phone, I have an app where I can, if I'm in an airport or I'm at the store checking out and there's a long line, I can just pop that open and, and, and do Greek studies right there. All my resources are in the clouds and in the cloud. I mean, it gives you, those are good resources, but you know, it's like maybe vines or strong is where you start, but it's not where you want to finish the best Greek resources. Um, if there's any reason to learn Greek, um, the best are actually glossed in Greek. So we call it BDAG. It's this, I have it back here. I have it somewhere on my, on my shelf. It's a book that's like this thick. I think it's up there <laughs> somewhere. It's like this thick, but it has all of the, you know, all of the Greek words that are, but it's in Greek. So if you knew the alphabet, you could look the word up, but oh. it's so precise. It's a very exact, precise definition. And, and really it's, you can't really argue with it. it. It's just the authority on Greek. 
um, the TD, the TDNT. A lot of times people say, well, if I say, okay, this is, this word here means, okay, don't be entangled with the, I think one of the words I use in Greek word study is don't be entangled with the affairs of this life that you may please him was called you to, to be a soldier. And the Greek word here entangled means to, for something to get caught inside of a fence. Historically, that word was used to talk about a sheep getting caught in a fence or um, a wrestler wrestling somebody and putting their hands in their hair and, and trying to, you know, snap their neck or something with this type of imagery behind it. Yeah. And you realize this is what, this is the, the force of the word that it, it means. And that brings the word, the word to life. Like you picture yourself as a soldier getting caught in a fence and you can't, you can't move. And, and you realize these aren't really terrible sins. They're just distractions. And what these distractions can do is they can, wrestle you to the ground and put a chokehold on you and, and put you get this imagery and you're like wow well where do i get those things from i, I don't like to give all my sources out but I, because i like you gary and i like this podcast i'll give it on this podcast the tdnt which is those purple volumes you see up here um you can get a lot of that in there because it's, it's just really good really good stuff but here's here's the catch you got to know the greek alphabet to, to start looking up those words all right all right so that'd be a good starting place to Maybe learn the alphabet and grab you a set of uh, those books. Yeah. What was the first one you mentioned besides the TNT? Uh, NT? Yeah, so it, it's uh, you just put B D A G B DAG. It's a pink book. You see it the moment you type in B DAG, uh, it'll pop up somewhere. Yeah. Bauer, Danks, Arns. Yeah, we'll, we'll put those all all, all those uh, great references. Yeah. We'll put what uh, our guy Chris Wigginton calls uh, our show notes, and so we'll, put, we'll put all that stuff in there so you can uh, have have. Uh, access to those tools yeah yeah and i'll say this is that i um for people that are listening that, that think this is like a really daunting insurmountable task let me just uh, let me give this testimony i was asked by a elementary school in atlanta if i would you know be their guest speaker and i'm think i said sure you know this is through zoom and i said and it was a christian school and i said what do you want me to talk about you know it's been a while since i've talked to mm-hmm. kids in kindergarten and literally kindergarten and then there was some eighth it was kindergarten class and there's eighth grade class and the teacher said greek and i, I laughed i said oh you know you're funny no no we want you to talk about greek i said greek and they go yeah and she said the the, the, the we're, we're teaching the kindergartners new testament greek and and they're they want to expose them to it but the eighth graders read it and i says i don't believe it i don't believe it so she said yeah so when i got with the eighth graders I threw them out a passage in, I think it was first John. And I said, okay, read, let's see where you're at. And they read it. Wow. They read the, they read it to me Yeah. and they knew the definitions of the words. And I thought, oh my gosh, like this. And, and the eighth graders are reading it. And so it only, it only took them not very long to do that. And so when I, when I've done classes um, in a number of churches and I, I do Greek workshops in spirit field churches, you know, very charismatic Pentecostal churches, I'm always thanked by the members afterwards because in within a matter of two hours, I get them reading Greek. I mean, right off the bat, I mean, they just start reading it and they're like, wow, I can, I know Greek now. And it's like, yeah, let's keep moving forward with this and see what we can turn up. If an eighth grader can do it, we can do it, right? Yeah, no excuse. That's, a, that's really phenomenal. 